Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. How's everybody feeling this morning? Yeah, well, if I don't know you, my name is J.D. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. Welcome to our North Campus. We've already had this party once in the South, and it's a good thing that's coming towards you. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today, um, but you will be thankful that we did. We're in week two of the series of talks called Love Your Neighbor. And what we started talking about last week, and I'd encourage you that if you missed the message last week, go to our podcast, go to our YouTube channel, and take 35 minutes of your day, of your drive, whatever it is, and catch yourself up on what we talked about. The reason is, is that it kind of sets the foundation, the tone of where it is that we're going to be going over these next couple of weeks. And here, really briefly, let me just try to catch us all up. God built something great. Can we all agree with that? That when he created heaven and earth, it was good. He said it was good. Adam and Eve's experience was good. And what sin did was it broke what God built. And what we did is we actually had like a Lego house. We have a picture of what it used to look like. Okay, that's what it used to look like. And and then what happened was I broke it. Do you guys remember that? If you didn't, you really want to go back and watch it because I shattered it on the stage. And my son still has nightmares about it because he loves Legos. And what we've talked about is, is like, isn't it amazing how it's so hard to reconstruct what was simple to construct? Like it is, it is extremely complicated to try to put back together again something that has been broken. And, and really this series is us taking a minute and saying like, hey, let's just realize our world is broken and it's going to take effort. It's going to take work. It's going to take all of us leaning in, pushing forward, maybe what is past, what's comfortable, what we understand. Because look, we're all drawn to familiar, right? We're drawn to similar. We're not drawn to different. And so we're going to have to Lean in together to say, God, this, this beautiful thing that you created, give us wisdom, grace, strength, and courage to be able to lean forward together and see you reconstruct what sin deconstructed. Because the gospel did not just reconcile us to God, it made a way for us to be reconciled to one another. And when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he was commanding us not simply to be nice to one another, but to see him in them. And so what we've been kind of laying the foundation is that there is an aspect of the heart of God. There's a fingerprint on God, of God on everything and in everything. And we've been talking about it at like the 30,000 foot view. Like this kind of, this, this idea phase of like, yeah, let's love our neighbor. Let's, let's care for those who are different than us. Let's lean in to ethnicities and cultures that we don't quite understand. And just on that note, I would encourage you, like, I just want to honor the life, sacrifice, and message of Dr. Martin Luther King. And tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King 
today, and, and I would just say that like in two weeks, you need to be here because my friend Clarence Hill is going to be coming from Norman, Oklahoma. He's the pastor of Antioch Norman and also a leading voice in racial and ethnic reconciliation in our nation. He's going to be here, and he's going to be helping us and leading us in a discussion about what does it look for us to lean into one another as we are different from one another. That let our differences not divide us and define us, but let our differences bring a glory to, the, to heaven because God created them in us. And so we're going to take a whole day and talk about unity and reconciliation and, and the effects of, of what our culture and the divisions that are so big right now, you feel it in culture, right? Like it's just, it can feel like the canyons between us are massive. And we believe that the gospel is enough, grace is enough to be able to close that gap. And so, but I encourage you tomorrow, don't just go like, oh, cool, I'm not working or, oh, bummer, the banks are closed. Like take a minute and read a little bit on Dr. King. Listen to some of his speeches. Read some of the things that he wrote because you will be better for it. Because what Dr. King did is he stood in a lot of ways, with the same hope and ambition that we have today, which is that we would be able to see that we have more things alike than we do different. And when we come together, we're better. And coming together is not us just not seeing that we're different from one another. It's actually acknowledging that we're very different from one another, and it's beautiful. And it's a good thing. And so we're going to be getting that into that in the weeks to come. But what we wanted to do today, a little bit different, a little bit unique, is that I have one of my best friends in the building. Now, this guy is kind of a man who has worn many hats. He's been a missionary. He's been a pastor. He's been a church planner. He is an entrepreneur. He's a venture capitalist. He is an investor. Um, he's kind of done everything, and he does it all well. He's kind of, kind of a frustrating guy. I played college football. He's better looking than me, bigger than me. Things come naturally to him. You know those people that you, like, love to hate? That, like, that is Chris. But, but here, here's the thing. True story. There's a part of my journey that a lot of people don't know. Is like about six months after Liz and I had moved to Seattle, Washington to plant a church, I just... Full on, no other way to explain it was just like the wheels fell off the cart. I was depressed, discouraged. I felt beat up, forgotten. And, and there was like a slow death that was happening in my soul as we were kind of looking at this mountain that didn't seem to want to move in this city and this dream of seeing a church planted. And, and, and it just seemed like nobody cared. And Chris called me one day. And, you know, we had a very bro conversation. And what I mean by that is, is that I don't call my friends. This is going to be shocking for some of you ladies. I don't call my friends ever and ask them how they're feeling. Okay. Like I've never called anyone and been like, how are you feeling, bro? No. It's like, yo, did you see that thing last night? Cool. You, yeah. Okay, great. See you later. Right? I mean, it's, you know, it's very, and we had like a very bro conversation um, but about 15 minutes after we talked, Chris called me back and he said, look, dude, I can tell that you're not doing well. And so he's married to a beautiful lady named Libby. And he said, Libby and I 
want to fly you to Wheaton, Illinois, which is where they were living at the time, and we just want you to be here. We want you to rest. We want to pray for you and minister to you for a couple of days. And I can honestly say that what God restored in me over those two days is the reason I'm still doing what I do today. I was ready to give up, to throw in the towel. It was too heavy. It was too hard. And because of great friends, I was catapulted into more of what God had for me. And, and, and this is who this man is. He's a, he's a great friend. He's hysterical funny. And he is successful at everything that he does. You just win at every area in life. So can we just give him the honor that he deserves and welcome my friend, Chris Selenier, to the stage. So here's the deal. Here's our goal. Our goal this morning is to talk about what happens on Monday. Like this idea of like loving our neighbor, like what does it look like when we're actually in our neighborhood? Because tomorrow morning you're not going to be here. You're going to be where you live, where you work. You're going to be surrounded with a different group of people. How does what we talked about last week connect to what we're going to be doing in 24 hours? And what Chris has done is that he has a grace on his life to not see that Acts 2, 42 through 47 is something that we do at Life Group and read and try to attempt to do on Sunday and maybe one night a week. But every single day, every business he owns, every meeting he has, He's living that scripture out. And so my heart for you is that we would all catch just a little bit of how to really love people and live missionally where God has us. Cool? Well, Chris, tell us about yourself, dude. It's so good to be with you, man. It really is. Um, <laughs> Hey, I've actually, it's cool, is my neighbor right there, that's uh, Rusty and Charlie Buck. Rusty Buck, greatest um, beard. Didn't even know he was coming, but he, he uh, him and Rusty, uh, him and Charlie went away uh, for the weekend, and he heard I was speaking here, so he came to, uh, to hear me. And um, it's just, I, you know, I sit back, and I have amazing, amazing neighbors. Uh, I was telling JD two, uh, two nights ago, um, my neighbors and some friends in our city, we, we met with a network that over the last 20 years has seen over 75 million disciples made. Okay. That's a real number. 75 million. Not crusade salvations, real disciples. They know where they live. They're meeting with them on a consistent basis. That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, so something that we do uh, as neighbors is we love to go sit on the back porch, have a drink, and talk about the things of God. And something we've been talking about uh, for months now is, hey, what if we were able to use our resources to finish the Great Commission? Like, what if we could take a real stab at this and take down some nations with our cash? And so um, we said, okay, well, let's host a gathering. Let's get the best people in the world to come talk to us, and let's figure out what the needs are. So noted, I was not invited. <laughs> just if you're wondering, just if you're wondering, I was told about this because I didn't make the invite list. <laughs> but it was so awesome. We're sitting here getting to hear about these different movements around the world 
I'm sitting around with my neighbors, my community, and we're t- looking at how can we tackle that. Isn't that awesome? So uh, a little bit about me, uh, Chris, married to Libby. Uh, we've been married for 15 years. You! Um, Hold on, man. I had to do this in the first service, too. Like, we, like, game respects game. Okay? It's not easy to be married for 15 years. Can I get an amen? Can all the honest, real people in the church just be, be serious here? Like, it's hard to be married for a year. Okay? So this dude's been married for 15 years. How many kids you have? I got four kids. He has four kids. I actually knew that, but I was trying to make it conversational. He has four kids. They're all girls, pray for him, okay? So when he says he's been married for 15 years, like that, let's do a redo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've been married for 16 years. Are you 16? Thank you. You got a year on me? I got a year on you, bro. Liz and I were married at your wedding. Thanks for the details, bro. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for knowing me so well. 16 years. Yeah, dude. Been doing this thing for a while. Yeah, as Jenny said, I got four kids, 12 to 6, and I'm in dad mode. I'm in soccer practice. We had all-day uh, basketball tournament yesterday, so that's our life. And our, for our family, our big deal that we um, are all about is we, as b- being Christians, realize mission is a very, very misunderstood thing mm. among Christians. And so our whole deal as a family is we want to be missional in whatever place God has us. So whether that's the soccer field, our companies school, um, we want to be disciple makers in those places. And so we're, we're simple people trying to live on mission. And that's what we're trying, to, we're trying to learn with our kids. We might do it well some days, other days we don't. But, you know, for our kids, they know that's what we're all about. You know, one of the things that is fun about your story is that when I look at you, just like sit back and just observe just your massive stature, I think this guy was made to spend a few years in India. That's what I thought. Yeah. So part of your story, and you, you got to this, like, incredible place of clarity, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in a few minutes, about what does it really look like to live missionally, not just to, like, talk about missions, but for our lives to have a boat wake of kingdom Jesus impact. That, that was stirred in you kind of starting in college, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we met... He'd been saved for about a month, right? He was Newbie. brand, brand new, new believer. Yeah. Goes, starts going to this discipleship group that a guy that I was discipling was leading, who himself had been saved for like maybe two months. Yeah. And um, so it was real cutting edge, guys. I mean, <laughs> the level of depth that was being achieved in this group. But what, what these guys called it was the good, it was the good, the bad, and the ugly meeting. That's what it was. And it basically, everyone's just trying to get free, right? Trying like you're just free. trying to get yeah. free. And so God begins to set you guys free uh, of all kinds of addictions and things that you were going to. One of my yeah. favorite memories, honestly, about Chris was like we had known each other like barely a month. But he's sharing the gospel with everything that moves. He's just fired up for Jesus. And he brings me, he was on the Baylor football team, and he brings me this other massive football player. And we're at the college service, and they come to me, these two mega men, which, like, it's hard to believe, but Chris was, like, way bigger in college, like, huge, like, looked like he could just kill you. And so he looks at me, and he's like, hey, this is Charles. He just gave his life to the Lord. He needs to break up with his girlfriend. So I told him that you would tell him what to say. 
I was like, you made me break up with mine, okay. so I figured he had to break I up did. with his. I did. Hey, you needed to, bro. <laughs> you needed to, and Libby yes. thanks me, bro. Thank, thank Libby, you, God. Thank you, God. Libby thanks me. Okay, so anyways, we, we digress. God gets your heart. You start living radically for Jesus in college. What, yeah. were, what were the next few things that kind of happened along the way that kind of started helping shape this mindset that you're living in now? Yeah, so I think the thing that was super powerful for me was, as you said, like I began walking with somebody who had only been saved a few months ahead of me. But the power of the whole thing was we did it together. Yeah. Is we learned how to get real and we just learned to do it together. So we'd get up in the morning and we'd spend time with Jesus and then we'd go out and share the gospel badly. And then we tried to invest <laughs> in people and we did that badly. And then we started community. But the thing that we happened as we were real and we did it together is it bore tons and tons of fruit. Yeah. Because this whole thing isn't about just having that rifle shot of perfection. It's just hurting broken people trying to figure it out together. That's right. right? And that's kind of what we're doing when we're doing church. And so... Um, I did that, and it was so life-changing. I said, man, I'd love to just take a year to devote to Jesus and his word and let him continue doing what he's doing, so I did the training school. And instead of going and uh, getting a job, I worked an after-school program and uh, made 10 bucks an hour and uh, Sold went your to a Tahoe, training school. Started driving a Camry. Yeah, so, yeah, the whole deal. And so I did that for a year, and then um, our community there, we really built something special said, hey, what if we went and did this somewhere else? So we went and planted a church in Chicago. And I did that for four years. And during my time there, the Lord began really doing a work in me about um, marketplace people. And I'd meet guys in our church. And as I'd meet them, they, they would often be like, a lot of the reason why I don't uh, see the impact I want to see is because I don't have the margin. I'm too busy. I got too much stuff going on. And I remember thinking about it, and it never sat with me well, but I wasn't a marketplace guy. I'd gone straight into ministry from college, so there was places I couldn't relate. And so I just remember I was praying about it, and I was in my living room one day praying about it, and I've seen a guy, this huge window in, uh, in my house, and I see a guy across the street, and he's getting in his car, and he's putting his briefcase in the back seat, and he's kissing his wife, and he's, he's going to work. Monday morning, 9 o'clock, right? And I remember telling the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to reach that guy. And the Lord tells me, Chris, if you want to reach him, you got to become him. And he reminded me of my story. Somebody came and incarnated the life of Jesus, and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. They weren't perfect. They incarnated. And that's how business people will get reached, mm -hmm. is other business people. And so uh, my next deal was like, great, i got to become a business guy. And so I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I, I'm going to become a business guy. And he goes, well, son, I've gotten to know you really well uh, these last 22 years, however old I was. He goes, what I know about you to be a terrible employee, you probably want to go try to be an entrepreneur. So, um, <laughs> thanks, Dad. Yeah, thanks, Dad. So I went, and I looked online, uh, and I downloaded a business plan made simple, and I tried to write up a simple business plan. And uh, my wife and I, in the midst of this, also were um, – uh, had just taken a trip to India. And while we were there, we really felt an invitation to live internationally. And so I was like, what if I go to India, start a business that hopefully can support us and fund us and try to do mission in the midst of it? And so that's how I got to India. So you go to India. You're in Bangalore for? Four years. Four years. Four years. Okay. And while you're there, there begins to be kind of a collision of seeing how there's a difference in having a longing to make an impact in the place that you work and actually seeing influence 
happen in the place that you work. So what, what was some of that collision that you started experiencing when you had to realize that it was about sowing, not just sowing seed, but sowing good seed yeah. so that it would bear good fruit? Yeah, so, you know, part of it, I was like, okay, so the key of this whole thing is being bivocational, right? Or like, you know, you, you kind of have your church world over here, you got your business world over here, and being effective is being able to kind of manage those two worlds. By the way, it's called dualism, not... But we'll, we'll, we're not here to talk about that. Uh, anyways, and so what would happen is I just, I had so many balls and plates spinning. And uh, a guy that w- was involved in my ministry world hooked me up with a contact in my, into the business world. And I went for a sales meeting one time. It was one of my first sales meetings. And I show up, and it's this huge comp- IT company in India. And, you know, I'm like, I have been on a lot of stages. I can sell. So this should be no problem. So I didn't do any prep. I thought, I'll get in the room, wing it. I'll kind of feel them out, and I'll know what to do. Get there, completely embarrass myself. Completely. Don't know anything, don't know anything about them, da-da-da, whatever. And the meeting gets shut down in like five minutes. And I'm sitting there, and I'm so embarrassed. And my friend who gave me the meeting said, hey, you're awesome, and I really like you. I just need you to know I can never give you another one of these meetings if you're not going to do it well. And I'm thinking, I'm like, Oh, you know, just like the, the on the chest. And what I realized is there was a great problem in my theology, is I had tons of, uh, I felt really good about spending my time at prayer meetings, life groups, Bible study, uh, because I knew God cared about that stuff. But I could not deal with the fact, does God really care about sales meetings, Excel sheets, budgets, whatever, all the things that we're doing all day, does God care about that stuff? Or is that like that like means to an end? It's like kind of that stuff you do so that you can go do that. Because I said, if that's, if that's true, that's what I believe today, and unfortunately, it's not working. And it's actually messing up this world that I'm trying to have influence in because I'm not actually that credible. And so God began just leading me in a journey of, how do, we, how do we jump into the mundane of life and that actually become our worship and our, and our instrument to bring in praise on the earth? You know, you said something in the first service that I think is worthy of repeating. You said that, that if you think bivocationally, you end up just doing two things mediocrely. Yeah, just from my, this is my experience. Uh, I've never met a bivocational person who does two things really well. Um, to do things exceptional, and that's the deal for me, is like, I want to be exceptional. I want to make an exceptional impact. And if you want that, it's going to take focus and clarity and digging in. So and I what I find with people when they're, when they're split into two different worlds is they tend to just do both those worlds just okay. And I think it's important to understand, too, is that... I, bivocationally, I think, can have this meaning of like, oh, bivocational, you work at a church and you work in business. But I think what Chris is getting at here is having a bivocational mentality, meaning that we see like our church stuff over here and our work stuff over here. And and that bivocational mentality leads to mediocrity as well because that the intention of wanting to be exceptional at one of them, and it usually, right, is the church stuff, right? Like if you, if, if you want 
You're like, man, oh, I want to be at that prayer meeting. I want to do this. I want to be at this thing. I want to go to life group. And you kind of feel better about yourself. Can we just be honest? You feel better about yourself when you go to church things, right? And we go to church things sometimes with expectation that great things are going to happen. But then we show up at work and we almost feel like, why am I here? Right? That's a bivocational mentality. That's not taking the kingdom of heaven into your workplace. That's enduring your workplace. And, and, and I think what Chris has done really well, like just to, to fast forward your story for the sake of time, and one day I hope Chris writes a book and um, you need to read chapters 2 to chapter 10, but we're just going to skip to chapter 10. And now you find yourself, you're living back in Waco, yeah. Right. So, you live in Waco. What are you doing now? What, what kind of consumes you these days? Yeah. So live in Waco. Um, um, my wife, six years ago with uh, three or four other families, we started a school. And uh, now we've got 300 kids in our school. It's phenomenal. Wow. Uh, so she's homeschooling two of those kids. And uh, we get to help with, you know, we just bought our facility and doing all that. So it's super cool. Um, I, um, practically I own six companies. I own lots of real estate in town. I run a family office. So I'm in charge of the foundation giving side as well as, um, uh, where, where we deploy the dollars. So that's what I'm doing from a work perspective, um, today. So one of those six companies is probably one of my favorite because a few years ago you said, I've never own a restaurant. I don't know anybody that owns restaurants. I don't know anything about restaurants. Let me start one. <laughs> right? right. And, and so you, you, you started a restaurant uh, that's called Fuego. Mm -hmm. Right? It's got some fans here. Um, and uh, it's, an, it's incredible. But tell us a little bit about that journey, kind of where it started, what happened, and how what happened changed what's happening now. Yeah. Okay. So Fuego, Fuego Tortilla Grill, it's a concept at a college station. Um, we got to, we got to know those guys, the founders of it and said, Hey, we would love to be a part of the expansion. And so we said, what we'd like to do is do two locations in Waco and then expand it above and beyond and build the next Chick-fil-A. So, um, small dream. Yeah. Small dream. So anyways, we, um, we got into our first unit uh, 12 months in, I'd lost a million dollars, and um, I thought, holy cow, this restaurant world is a lot harder than it looks. Uh, so what ended up happening is I'm looking at this, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, we've lost so much money. I mean, I'm just, like, basically paying people to eat tacos every day. And um, <laughs> uh, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this, this, the, the failure of this is so heavy, it's like starting to impact the rest of our companies. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What do I, how, what do, I do with this? And, um, you know, it took, me, it took me a couple of months, but I felt like the Lord was like, you need to get in and lead it, and you need to run it. And so I went and bought restaurant shoes and um, stepped in and started washing dishes and cleaning up puke in the, dry, in the parking lot and uh, cooking the food and washing, doing all the things that you do to run a, run a, run a restaurant. And in the midst of that, you know, so for me, I've got kind of three bullets that I really would, I, this, if I said this is my sweet spot with investing, is if it can have three, three main characteristics about it. Number one, obviously, I want to invest in uh, something that's a good investment, quality investment, where we make money. Number two is that it has a quality culture and leadership where I would let my kids work there. Like if my kids could work there, I'm like, 
good. It's a, it's a good place for, you know, where people can grow. And then three is where it can have a, a sandbox where we can innovate with the kingdom and do cool stuff to help people and, uh, you know, be salt and light in our city. So when I got this thing, I mean, uh, anybody ever worked in a restaurant, um, the things that happen behind closed doors, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even want my kids to eat here. Um, <laughs> and um, just crazy, so, crazy So when stories. you engage the business, so the business was struggling, when you engaged it, because it was falling apart, you realized that the culture that was happening in the restaurant was not the culture that you wanted it to be. It, oh, it, it, was, it was not checking those boxes totally. anymore. Yeah, it was just a mess. And so the way I started, I just started with the people. And I invited a group of guys over, and I said, hey, I work out every morning at 645, be in my gym. And I have a gym in my house. So came over, and we do CrossFit in my house. And then... Um, you know I, why? Because running is dangerous. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Just so we started working out with them. And then I, I, uh, we started life groups with the employees and baptized them, led them to the Lord and started discipling them. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of these guys never had dads. So I'd sit them all, I'd sit four or five of them down and I taught them how to build budgets. And so I taught them how to manage their finances and how to get out of their payday loans and how to, you know, fix all that. So just small little things that we just started investing in the people, having them over to our house. My wife would cook them food. And then I, um, the biggest thing is I just began praying. And I can say I have probably walked around our restaurant thousands of times, just walking in circles. And one of the things that I'm a big believer in is when, when, uh, when we want to claim something, we've got to start praying circles around it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I do with my businesses is I, I define a circle and I began asking God, give me promises for this. And the Lord began giving me these huge promises. And I remember thinking, Lord, I just want it to make money. Like I just <laughs> needed it, need it to work. Uh, but the business ended up growing and growing. And as we grew, I was able to hire a guy that ran one of the largest Chick-fil-A's out of Dallas, and he's now our operator. Um, and then as we made even more money, I was able to hire a guy that we call a care coordinator. And his only role, his only job is to minister to guests when they come in. So he's there, and he's discerning, and he'll prophesy and minister to people. I mean, a testimony. Um, Wait, hold on. So you pay somebody, like real money. Real money. To be a care coordinator, which is basically the pastor of the I'm restaurant. I'm a pastor in my restaurant, yeah. Okay, so you pay a, a pastor in your restaurant. Where did you get that idea? Like, what, what, when did you go like, oh, you know what we need to throw $50,000 a year at is a guy to pray for people at the restaurant. Like, where did that idea come from? I mean, I think it was just something I was like, I want to care for... I want to care for our, the, our people. I want to care for their whole life. So what I realized is all the attempts that I was doing, I actually wasn't the best person to do it myself. Uh, I could only go to level because I'm the owner. But what if I brought people in that could do it even better than me? Um, and my partner and I were like, I'm willing to write the check if you will. And so we looked at marketplace chaplains. We looked at all these different models that were out there, and we said we like bits and pieces of each of them, but we don't like any of them in the whole. So we said, why don't we just create our own thing? We've been doing that our whole career. So we did that. And so now, guys, it's just become this thing. It's, in, it's insane. I mean, Before I have, every month, I have six pages of testimonies. We have a thousand people come into our restaurant every day. That's a thousand divine appointments for him. And that's how he sees it. He is a kid 
in the candy store. He doesn't have a business bone in his body. But man, <laughs> if you're like, does he want to be a spiritual father? He's got, we've got third generations of disciples that have been made from people that have come into our restaurant. So that's, he's discipling people who are discipling people who are discipling people. So here's something that just like a side note, knowing a little bit more of the story. What's fascinating is that everything that Chris has been talking about and seeing the business go from losing a million dollars in six months to being extraordinarily profitable, there were some practical business things that you guys shifted as well, better leadership, different yeah. things like that. But the biggest thing that you guys changed was you invested in the people yeah. and trusted that the investment in the people was going to make a difference in the bottom line of the business. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just getting a vision for doing something exceptional. You know, vision is just, it's hard, it's hard, you like, it's one thing to have goals, it's another thing to have vision. Yeah. And vision is this, like, special thing where you're seeing what this could be if we, if we get it right. And, you know, something I just, and, and from my experience, you get vision through the place of prayer. And for most business leaders I am around, their work life is crazy busy and their prayer life is almost non-existent. And my experience, you need to flip that and really give yourself into the place of prayer. Um, because people are asking me, how do you do what you do? Um, and number one is I'm just hyper clear on where I want to go and what I want to be about. And so, uh, but it comes to me through the place of prayer. Something you said in the last service that I thought was really cool is that you said that oftentimes when you meet with business guys, you find their prayer life revolves more about, around God blessing them than the people. Then God, would you bless the people? Yeah. So like what I'll do with our businesses is I also recruit intercessors that pray for our businesses and they're praying for the people. And so I will get a, a roster, an employee roster and I have, you know, five or six people that are like, I will pray every day for those people. And it's the people who actually pray, not just send the, you know, the meme, you know, with the prayer hands. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, the emoji, yeah, the deal. Or, or um, the greatest lies spoken by most Christians on the daily, the text, I'm praying, praying for, for you. you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> and so uh, I've got five or six people, and they pray, and, they'll just, and they don't know anything about our businesses, but they will hear God and give me words, but they're praying by name through for all of our people. So do you see, like, can you imagine, like, what if for your office you recruited people in your life group that would pray for breakthrough to happen in your office? I mean, so, how different would that shift how you see going to work when it's now like, wow, we're going to believe God for miracles to happen in this place. And you might not be the boss, you might not be the culture shaper in your organization or your company, but all these things that Chris is talking about, any of, it, any of us in any role in any position can do them and it'll create the kingdom atmosphere for God to begin to bless them. Right? You don't have to be the boss to say, you know what, I am going to gather people to begin to pray for my work team. You don't, you don't have to be the boss to do that. You can be the, the lowest person on the totem pole, and you can start that. Right? I mean, this is what, what Chris is talking about is he's saying it's because oftentimes we will pray it, it this way for breakthrough in our lives, 
right, in our families' lives, but, but we were called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So if we have a desire in us to pray for breakthrough, to, to long that God would move on our behalf, then, then maybe we need to take some of that energy, some of that intention, some of that focus, and begin to pour it into the lives of the people that are around us, right? We need to begin to pray and believe that breakthrough is going to happen in them just as much as we long for breakthrough to happen in us. Chris, tell us one of the stories, man, that, that, that you guys have, uh, one of the testimonies, you told me that one about the, the mom that came in. Yeah, this is wild. This, so this happened, I mean, and it was, I was sitting on my phone, and one of the things I get is every social media review that comes through for the restaurant, uh, I see it. It, 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 like, aggregates into an app, and I get to be able to see it, and I was just reading one that, of a testimony that just happened, but I'll tell you one that happened two weeks ago. So uh, a mom came in our restaurant, she was picking up tacos, and... Um, you know, Leonard being Leonard, he discerned, he's like, okay, there's something with her. And so he walked up to her and introduced himself and he said, how's everything? And she's like, fine. And anyways, built, started building a relationship and she said, uh, come to find out the reason she, she was in town uh, is because uh, last night her daughter had been raped. And she begins bawling. And she's like, I, we, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do. So in that moment, he began ministering to her in a restaurant taco joint and began to minister while he's ministering two training school students from our church walk in and they walk in and they begin ministering to her and they've been able to keep this relationship going and been able to get this girl plugged into our college group and be able to minister to mom while she was picking up tacos and the reality is guys these kind of these are this is who's walking through the doors mm -hmm. these are the people walking through grabbing tacos and and standing at the counter, and we look like we're like, everybody's like doing great, nobody's having a hard time, but people are broken and hurting, and that's why I, I said, we have a thousand people that come through our doors every day. There has to be an opportunity to minister to a few of them, and what we found is it's an, it's, it is by far, to be honest, it's unbelievable what it's done for my business. My social media reviews are out the window because uh, <laughs> people absolutely love this. I mean, when you have somebody who's like, it's a fast casual restaurant and he'll go fill your drink up, da, da, da. he does all these things for you because he understands it's not, he's not just standing there like preaching at people, he's loving them and he's listening to them and he's ministering the word of the Lord to them, right? And if you come into my restaurant and you meet him, uh, he's an older African-American man and his name's Leonard, get ready, you're gonna get rocked. <laughs> like, you're gonna, you don't stand a chance. And so we're, we're playing with that idea of like, how could we create this across other businesses? I've got a buddy who um, seven years ago works for this huge franchising company. And he's like, what would it look like for God? To, he didn't know any believers in the company. And he said, God, just give me one guy to pray with. And he, and he built this and he, and he like had this like map around their corporate headquarters. And he just began praying. He said, God, give me one guy to pray with. And then one day, God, I got to pray with. And they began praying and dreaming, what would it look like if God showed up in our work? And two years ago, I meet this guy, and I start praying with him. I hear his story. I've never even heard of this guy in our church. And he's like, uh, the two years ago, he said, I started praying, and I got one other person to pray with me. And we prayed every week for 45 minutes. We just prayed for our work. Today, today, this is two years ago. I started praying with him two years ago. But today, 
He's seen 75 people baptized in his company. He has a weekly Friday morning prayer meeting that's 45 guys, or it's like usually 30 to 45 guys slammed in his office confessing sin and praying for each other. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And what he did is seven years ago, he wrote on the board the number 100, and he circled it. Seven years ago. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm at 75, I'm almost there. 25 more. And he's been laying in, and he got a vision. He said, what if God led, what if I could lead 100 people to the Lord through my company? And he's got people across these different lines of business that are making disciples and impacting people, and they all cram into this little space and pray and believe God for their company. Because one guy, one guy said, I'm going to pray and believe for this place. So guys, do you see how this is how we're going to see the city of Austin changed? Look, I'm a church guy. I love what happens here on a Sunday. We spend a lot of time praying in, dreaming in, preparing. But how we're going to see the city changed? Like we didn't come here. You've heard me say this all the time. We didn't come here just to gather a couple hundred people in a couple different locations at different parts of the city. We came here because we want the city of Austin to be touched changed and commissioned, deployed in the purposes of God for every single person's life that's here. And how that's going to happen is not by us getting cooler worship songs. It's not by us having better sermons. It's about all of us realizing that every single day, 20 to hundreds to thousands of people interact around us that God has placed us there to sow good quality seed and to believe that the kingdom of heaven will advance through our lives and what's your number I mean I think hearing that story I'm like what's your number what are you writing on the board is it 125 Is it five? Is it 10? Like, what's your number that you're like, you know what? While I'm at this company, here's my faith goal. This this amount of people are going to be saved, baptized, and plugged into church. What's your number? Do you know? Are you praying daily for your team? Are you recruiting intercessors for your team? Oftentimes, we don't see the connection of how God wants to work in our nine to five because we don't put the same kingdom focus on our nine to five that we do in other areas of our life. And the invitation of God for us today is like, hey, let's do it. Like, let's begin to put kingdom focus on our nine to five and let's see God do supernatural things in us and around us.